Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening, and my co-host is the beautiful Dr. Nancy. She's on with me this evening, and we are on scan number 3158, and I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about our guest this evening, but first I'll go into a few of the details that we need to do. Um, We have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect, and we do so with two goals, excuse me, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we are on scan number 3158 this evening, um, and our date is 4-12-2023. Um, if you would like to be a part of our panel, we would love to have you come on and, and support our special guests. You can call in to the guest call number. That's 646-595-2118. And my co-host will meet you on the back line and ask you if you have any questions and um, then put you on hold and put you into the queue. If you want to just call in to that guest number and listen in, you're welcome to do that. We would love to have you to join us. So our special guest this evening is Maria Trusa from White Plains, New York. It took Maria 47 years to break her silence and to speak out about the abuse that she endured at just nine years old. Her life story is a tremendous example of inner strength. Maria was able to undo the trauma of her past and become a successful businesswoman, community leader, and activist who constantly fights to eradicate sexual abuse and the sexual abuse that plagues her community. 
Her book, I Say No More, is her personal journey of growth and self-improvement. In 2020, Maria founded a nonprofit organization called the same name, I Say No More. It focuses on raising awareness of the prevalence of sexual violence in Latino communities, especially among children, while helping sexual violence survivors break the cycle of abuse. They provide mental health and trauma-informed services for survivors and their families. The work, Maria explains, chronicles her early years growing up in the Dominican Republic, where she experienced traumatic sexual assault at the age of just nine by a family friend of her father. This experience nearly cost her her life. When she moved to the United States, she struggled to find organizations that would provide culturally appropriate services to begin addressing and healing from this abuse. She goes on, I traveled the globe providing presentation workshops. She focused on raising awareness and ending the silent epidemic of sexual violence happening in Latino communities and implements trauma-informed systems in workplaces. Maria speaks on the topic of resiliency, mindfulness, and self-reflection, firing immigrants on ways to make their dreams come true and how to overcome early childhood trauma. Wow. Thank you, Maria, just from the bottom of my heart for all you're doing and for um, thank you. Thank you, Kim. Thank you um, much. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here. You know, I always say that when I'm giving a platform where I can continue uh, giving hope uh, to people that feel like there is no other way and that you are stuck in your trauma and that I am able to bring some light. For me, it is truly an honor. So, Kim, thank you for for allowing me to be here with you and with everyone that is listening. Well, it is really our honor, Maria, and we um, are just excited to hear about your journey and how we usually – have you – I'm sorry I didn't ask for but I don't believe you've been on NASCA before, have you? No, I haven't. So, okay. I'm available here okay. today. Well, now you are an official member, and we, um, you know, just welcome you anytime you want to participate in any of these panels or, um, you know, just listen in or any of your, anything you'd like to to do within NASCA. We are here to help you out with that, too. So, um, So how we usually go about the evening is we kind of ask you to start like at the beginning, so maybe give us a little bit of details about how your early years started. You mentioned you were in the Dominican Republic, and, um, you know, just maybe kind of set that picture up for your early, you know, for us, how your early years went, and then we can just kind of move into, as you got a little bit older, and maybe into your secondary years, and and then I may interrupt you just to, if I have a question. Or and then we may sure. you know interrupt you after a while also to see if the panel has any questions. We have a, a couple of people on Sounds our panel here to support you. Sounds so great. we're excited to hear about it. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. This is your show. And um, thank you. Well, okay. So you know, Kim, I'm going to start by saying that 
um, The Body Keeps the Score. And I think um, I'm sure you heard of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And I realized, you know, when I took on this journey of breaking the silence and telling my story, and I have to say that I probably have told my story over 500 times. And I, and I am so in tune with how my body still feels it every time. And I say that so that, you know, everybody that is listening, uh, they, and if you are a survivor, that it is okay. You know, your body will keep the score, but it, you don't have to keep the score with you always. You can recognize it and embrace yourself. And at this moment, I bring some resources. I've done a lot of work in bringing resources when I speak about my trauma because obviously you re-traumatize yourself in a way, you know, every time you tell your story. But for me, there's no other way but to tell my story because I know that I am encouraging and I am being an accelerator for someone else to tell their story. And until you break the silence, you are at war with yourself. And that is something that I learned from the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. So right now I have someone that imaginary that is uh, right next to me and is nurturing me. And I want to tell you that I, I was a little girl in the Dominican Republic. I come from a very, very poor background. I lived in a little, in a little um, place called Licey Almedio. It is, for those of you that might know the Dominican Republic, it is in Santiago. It's, it's very close to Santiago, which is like the second largest uh, place city in the, in the Dominican Republic. And being poor, it was not something that for me, I didn't even know how poor it was until I realized how poor it was. But when my mom had to come to the United States because my father unfortunately became an alcoholic and she had five kids, and she had to make a decision uh, to really support her children. And when she decided to get a divorce, uh, she was able to get a job, and she was making $3 a week in the Dominican Republic. And she obviously realized that she couldn't support us, and thank God that my mom had the wisdom and the strength, and uh, she decided to move mountains. So she brought in my older brothers, my two older brothers with her, so that she can figure out a way to support us. And I had two other brothers, a little brother that was about three and a half years old, and then my brother Billy that was two years older than me. I was eight years old when my mom came to the United States. And about a year later, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I was living in a cousin's house. My little, my little brother was with my grandparents' house from my father's side, and my other brother went and stay with a friend of my mom. So as you, can own, as you can imagine, my abandonment issues started right there. Uh, but my mom was able to bring us together, the three of us, and get someone to take care of us. And she asked my father to stay with us in that the only thing he had to do was bring food. I can tell you that there were, you know, that Christmas, I, we didn't have food because my father never came home. And, um, but unfortunately, my father made the biggest mistake because going through not having food and, you know, being poor, it really is not what I think of my life as one of those, um, uh, that chapter that sort of 
it got imprinted in my soul. It was when my father one night decided to come in drunk in the middle of the night, and he was taking my little brother, my little brother, with this guy that was his friend who was a witchcraft man. My father <clears throat> took um, was taking my little brother, and I cried, and I took my little brother from my father's arms, and my father ended up saying, then you have to go. I went, and my father drove me to this man's house. In the area right next to his house, he had uh, the place where he did all the witchcraft. And he took me into this place. Um, He gave me a bottle of whiskey. He forced me to drink that bottle of whiskey nonstop. And he later... um, after the whiskey, proceeded to take me out in his car. And he told me that I would die and would, and so would my family if I said what was going to happen that night. And uh, he took me to a motel. And in the motel, he proceeded to rape me. He raped me the entire night um, until he got tired. And by the time he got tired and I woke up in the morning, I couldn't walk. Uh, He had destroyed me. Uh, Not only did he destroy my body, uh, he destroyed my soul. He stole my innocence. I, I, to make a long story short, I ended up um, making it to the bathroom and then uh, the bathroom, I honestly did not know if I was going to make it out of there alive. And he did take me home. He ended up taking me home and leaving me there. Um, My father was there waiting. My father did nothing. My father went to jail one day. He went to jail for three months, and they needed me to testify, and I was in no shape to testify. I had to have surgery. Um, My right ovary got twisted in my fallopian tubes, and they thought I was going to lose my ovary because me so brutally that he destroyed my insides. I can tell you that that led into a chapter in my life, actually many chapters. I ended up having to leave the little town where I was, where I was living. And actually, my mom ended up moving us to another town because in my town, it was so small. Everybody knew what happened. And people looked at me with pity. And I wanted to die. I was so, I was in so much pain that at the age of nine, I wanted to die. And I didn't know how to do it. If I would have known how to do it, I would not be talking to you today because I know what it feels like to not want to exist, and that's what I felt. And then later on, my mom was able to bring us back um, to the United States, and I'm going to stop there. I don't know if you have any questions. I'll take a little breather. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Maria. Thank you. I am just so sad 
for that little girl. I'm so sorry that she had to listen to all of that. And, um, you know, this is a podcast about child abuse, and we hear it all the time, but it's just, it's never right, you know. And um, right. just Thank horrific, you. horrific, all the things you went through. Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry. You know, and to have your I, dad say, be there too, that's awful. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Kim, I never saw my father after that day, so I lost a father, um, and I lost my innocence, and I lost my soul for a long time, and I remember, you know, coming to the United States, and I actually, I talk about it in my book, I say that when the doors of JFK opened up, I was blown away. First of all, I've never seen doors actually open automatically. So I was like, wow, this is big. Like, I'm going to be something big here, and I'm going to leave my life behind. And I thought I was going to close that chapter, and then everything was going to be okay. But that doesn't happen. You know, you you have to go through a process. And I ended up getting married at the age of 17, to an abusive husband. He was Dominican too, and he ended up being the father of my two boys that I, I mean, he he gave me the biggest gift of all because I adore my children. But when when I realized how broken I was for the first time is when my son, Franco, who's 38 years old, was born, I, um, this child I I wanted this pregnancy I thought you know I wanted this pregnancy but when I was I was for sure that it was a girl I had a boy immediately I disconnected from this kid it was instant I couldn't even clean my son comfortably and the he felt that you know my son felt that the distance, he felt the the disconnection that I had because he became a very difficult child. And at the age of, he was probably two to three months old, one night when this kid would not stop crying. And by now I'm with an abusive husband. Uh, I'm cleaning, I'm cooking, I'm working, I'm doing everything. I'm taking care of the child at night. There's no help at all. This child will not stop crying, and I took my little boy, and I shook this child, and I threw him in the bed, and my son fell on the floor. I could have killed my son. To this day, this is, I'm telling you, 30 years, 38 years, and I still feel this. Never imagine I had an out-of-body experience. And I tell this story because this is so important. It's not something that I'm proud of. My son knows it. I was able to share it with him when I wrote my book. I told him what has happened. And I can tell you that the biggest pride of my life is the fact that I have children that adore me. I have children that want to spend time with me. I have children that understood my process and that admire me for 
taking something so that could destroy you forever and deciding that my son that day became my biggest catalyst. I said no more that night. I decided that I was not going to break my, my the next generation. I decided that I was going to start healing for my son. And the healing process yeah, started. So admirable because, you know, we've lived in generations, most likely, that have gone through that. I mean, I'm sure that your, your father had to have had some trauma in his past for him to be as sick as he was as an adult. And then he chose, instead of making life better for you and your your siblings, he chose to make it just as bad or even worse. And I'm sorry that that happened. You know, I mean, that's just not even understandable ever. Yeah, Kim, I can tell you that, you know what, I I look back and I, I heal for my father. And I want to tell you that that's another accelerator that happened after. Um, my father was dying. And this is, my son was probably a year, a year old. And my father, I, my father was dying from a brain tumor, and he couldn't speak, so he would write. And when he was dying, in his dying bed, he wrote to his brother, could you please call Jackie, they call me, and ask her for my forgiveness, to please forgive me. And Kim, the biggest gift my father gave me. He actually, in my book, I dedicated a book to him as well. Did that because I realized that, and this is important for anybody that is listening, because forgiveness, we have heard it before. Let me tell you, you want to open the soul. You want to open the doors to your heart. Forgive. Forgive. And when you're forgiving, I realized that I was forgiving for me. Then, later, I didn't know. When I told my my uncle, and it wasn't like it was an instant reaction. It was like, God, help me. Like, what do I do? How do I forgive this man when I hated him with passion? I I don't want to forgive him. And I pray. I got the from God first. To let it go. Oh, my uncle, I said, please tell him that he can go in peace. I forgive him. And a few minutes later, my uncle called me back. And he said, your father shed his last tears and he took his last breath with your forgiveness. And we want to thank you. Wow. Wow. And that was it. That was it, Kim. My, the anger, the resentment for my father was gone one day. Wow. I started looking at Can him. Can I ask you? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, first, I did oh. want to see if Dr. Vancey had anything that she wanted to ask you, but... um. Yeah, that's, is that okay with you if we go ahead and 
Of course. I have so many things going on in my head, and I'm I'm just really, um, you know, my heart is just with you on this. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like you. So, So Dr. Nancy, I'm going to bring you on. You're on. Next is Maria. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Um, Wow. Ms. Maria, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, my heart goes out again, just like um, uh, like Ms. Kim just said. It goes out to that little girl, right? When you put yourself in that position or you can, you know, just take that time to just look at that little girl, not not the strength and not the survivor and, and all of that, but just that little girl at that moment. Uh, when you were sharing what you had to go through that whole night, that was unimaginable, and we just we're so sorry that you had to go through that. Um, no, thank you, thank you so much for those words. I, I, you know, that little girl. I had to take. I, I've been talking to her a lot for many years. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you know, just thank you for being so brave today and standing up for that little girl and, and showing up for her today. I think it's so important that, um, you know, survivors are able to do that. That little girl didn't have that strength back then, but you have that strength today to speak up for her and to, you know, hopefully really make a difference in the lives of other little girls and save lives. Um, and that's really one of the main purposes of why we as advocates come together and share. Um, so again, thank you for that. I, I just want to again just um, you know thank you again for your bravery. And um, I know you were talking about um, forgiveness. That's really a, a important part of recovery. And um, you know, and, and like they always say, forgiveness is not for you uh, for them. You know, forgiveness is really for you to free yourself and for you to start walking in your healing and your recovery and just freedom in your freedom freeing yourself yeah. from that um, yeah. horrible experience. Um, yeah. So you, you shared that you forgave your father. Is that what you're saying? I did. I forgave him. And and like I said, I, you know, I even dedicated, um, he's been, it's a dedication in my book because I realized that, you know, he gave me the biggest gift. I can tell you that to this day, I don't, I don't hate anyone. I don't resent anyone. I've made peace. And I actually, you know, Oprah Winfrey wrote a book that I, you know, I think it was her last book, um, the What Happened to You. I don't know if you, if you heard of it, but I, mm-hmm. that's the question that I ask. To my dad, that my dad would do the unthinkable. And what happened to me? Right? I understood what happened to me that I would almost take my son's life. Mm-hmm. When, so whenever anybody does something to me, I am curious as to what happened to this person because in my mind, we are born good. We are made bad. We, we make serial killers. I, we make people do the unthinkable. Because when we are born, I just so I just had a grandchild, my third one, uh, two weeks ago, 
And I was able to see this baby in the first few hours of this baby's life. And I'm looking at this beautiful, perfectly, just pure soul that has come into this world. And I'm looking at this child, and I said, wow, how lucky this child is because the chances of for this child, when I have my son who is totally in love, who wanted this baby so much. They had a miscarriage. They had two miscarriages, and they had this baby, and this baby is being born in a, in a, in a fountain of love. That child has an amazing chance of having an easier life. I'm not saying that life has struggles. We all have struggles, right? But when you come into a world, from the moment you're born, you're being neglected and abused and abandoned. Well, Your programming, there's a problem with the programming, right, from the beginning. So the programming that is given to us as children, I'm very big into books, and I will recommend also for the book by Joseph Murphy, The Power of the Subconscious Mind. And Joseph Murphy says that uh, 95% of the decisions you make and the actions you take are made with your subconscious. 5% is with your conscious. When I learned that, I'm like, this is scary, but it's also empowering. Because it doesn't mean that you have to stay with the programming. And I'm living proof that you can reprogram yourself. And that's what I've done. I started to reprogramming myself. I had an accelerator that was my son. Then the next accelerator was my father. And then I started doing daily deposits, putting in every, every day an effort that is going to bring me to some healing. So healing became what my purpose was. Healing was, for me, uh, at, the, at the epitome of my life because I said, if I don't heal, I am programming my son. And I was not going to do that to the next generation. I was going to break every barrier for my children. And I can tell you that it is important to understand that because that way, if you can forgive, because people do things that are unthinkable because they have been through unthinkable things. And it's not an excuse, it's an explanation. And to, to be able to say, I understand, feel what you feel, but I am not going to be stuck in the trauma and in the victim mode anymore. You give years to victimization. I decided I was not a victim anymore. So I became a creator. And I started accelerating the process of being a creator. And I'm not telling you that it's easy to do. Obviously, we all know it. And I'm sure many of the listeners would understand that. And they would say, but it's so hard. I've heard that so many times. It is so hard. It's what? Every day you choose to continue in uh, seeing it as 
as it is so hard, or deciding to put daily deposits in your life. Reading a book that is going to, you're going to learn a piece, something that's going to give you a little bit of exercising, meditating, learning new things. I am obsessed with learning. Like I, every day, I need to, every morning, I need to learn at least for 15 minutes. And I'm also very curious. Like I became so curious about what I felt. I, I kept asking questions. What is my body feeling? Um, what am I, sorry, my son was actually calling. What am I feeling? Uh, what, how is my ego getting, you know, in the way? What is, what is the ego playing and a, a part of? And then what do I want? And I started concentrating on what do I want? I want to heal. I want a better place for my children. I want to be a better mother. I want to reparent myself. I don't want to be the cold mom that my mother was. My mom was in, in if you, when you read my book, as I would advise all of you, I give you, and this is not just to sell my book, because my book, all the proceeds go to my movement, uh, which I'll talk about, but it is because in it, I shared my entire journey. But I didn't share just my story. I'm giving you all the tools. I have toolboxes. I have so many of them. And the beauty of it is that I've taught, you know, my children have their own toolboxes that they utilize. And it's, that's what it's about, is how many tools are you going to use to heal your soul? That's important. And Kim, I could talk forever, so I, I want to stop. If you have any questions, um, you let me know, or I can continue. <laughs> yeah, I was, Dr. Nancy, did you have anything else that you wanted to say or ask? Oh, I'm actually enjoying hearing her share her testimony. I'm, I'm curious to hear some of these tools that she has used and that um, that she would recommend for some of our listeners. I know we have um, Mr. Phil on the line. I don't know uh-huh. if you wanted to bring him in. Nope. Yeah, I was going to see if he wanted to say anything. Okay. okay. Thank you. All right, Mr. Phil, if you have a question or a comment, please join us. Was that an easy task to forgive your father? It doesn't sound like it would have been that easy. So I, I couldn't hear it well, so maybe you can repeat the question. Was it a hard task to forgive your father? Um, you know, it really was. I, I think in a way because my father was dying um, that it made it a little bit, I would say, a little bit easier. I had not thought of forgiving my father until that moment. And when I got the call, I, I really had to pray. I did not think that I was capable of doing that. And I reached deep into my soul, and I prayed, and I felt that I could really tell him that I would forgive him because I had to mean it at that time. I knew that he was dying. So I think that helped me 
but I do have to say, you know, forgiving is not easy the first time. But once you forgive, then you can utilize this as a tool, right? It, it, we're going to talk about different tools. So a tool, one of the biggest, I feel, is forgiveness. Because once you realize, and for me, like I said, I, I realized that, wow, it was like there was this huge 100-pound blanket that I carried with me that, that made me exhausted. That's how I felt exhausted of the anger, the questioning, why did he do this? What was the deal that he made with this brujo, the witchcraft man? Why? I, I couldn't understand. But you know what? When he died and he asked me to forgive him, I knew that I was the last, the last thought in his mind. I was the last the last thing that he took with him, I was it. And that gave me comfort. And I then felt for my father. I, I feel sadness that my father had five children. And in one night, he made a decision that destroyed his life. And my father paid the price. He lived a lonely life, a very lonely life. Nobody really wanted to be part of his life. So I think about all his loss. Obviously, it, it makes me feel sad. But I'd rather feel sad than feel anger. And where you are so resentful that it eats you up. Because sadness is, in a way, that for me, you know, it's, it's a feeling when it comes to my father that in a way connects me to him in a loving way, not the way that I used to feel about him. Thanks for the question, Mr. Phil. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. Did you have anything else you wanted to, to ask? No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Philip. Thanks, Samia. So I, I can definitely relate to the, the forgiveness piece. I, I um, made the decision to forgive my stepdad, who was one of my abusers. And um, I, I know that there were, the, actually the first time that he asked for my forgiveness, my mom was still alive, and he was going through throat cancer. And mm. I accepted his apology but it didn't feel as sincere as I would have hoped especially at that point and um mm -hmm. and I I felt like I said a lot of it just came from my mom however once my mom had passed and my dad made the decision to give his life to Christ and show up at my church then I was able to really really forgive him. It felt so much more sincere at that point because it wasn't backed by my mom for one. And my mom was really the backbone of everything in the family. You know, she was very, you, you remind me a lot of her, just your small stature and <laughs> dark hair and <laughs> dark short hair. She, she was beautiful, just like you. And um, but you. she decided, you know, she had decided 
because she was abused and her mom was abused, she had decided that it was something that just happens. And so that's why I always say it's so, it takes somebody in that family or else the generational abuse will continue on. And it doesn't always happen with the same person. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand is you could just carry that on in your behaviors like you were talking about and, um, and you know, abusing your child. I know that my oldest daughter probably got, or I know she got the brunt of some of my anger before I had been able to get a, a, you know, a good grip on it mm. and understand that I was possibly passing that anger on and I didn't want to do that. So um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I do, I relate to that as well. My, my stepdad is still alive and, um, mm. and I'm still a part, you know, we're, I, I'm still a part of his life. It's actually him and I are the only ones that are left in my family. And um, our immediate family, you know, and he's the only one that I ever knew. He was basically, you know, my biological dad, or not biological, but he's the only dad I ever knew. And and so now I am in a position that is challenging again. And uh, it's because I'm I'm the one to take care of him in his old age. And, you know, there's a lot of boundaries that I've had to put up so that I can stay healthy. And so that I can go out and do the work that I do, um, you know, on a daily basis, because I do some classes as well around this subject. And he's also been, so he knows everything that I'm doing. He knows that this is no longer a secret. And he knows that I've been, you know, written my testimony in books, and he knows all of it. So he knows it's all out there. But he has been humbled enough at this point to say, yes, Kim, you need to go do that. It's important. And so um, that's, I think, for me, it has kind of been that whole full circle, you know, thing that he is actually one of my biggest cheerleaders. Does that make it easy? No. It doesn't always make it easy. I still struggle. I still struggle with having to be the one that has to make sure that he's okay. Going to happen, of course. Somebody in my position. But, um he won't ever live with me, and I told him that, you know, you gave up that privilege of possibly living with me someday. And so I'll make sure that you're okay, and, you know, I'll come see you, and I'll make sure you get everything that you need. But, um, but anyway, so I'm sorry. It's not really about me, so, no. but um, I no, just but, wanted to well, share that, about, you know. You know, Kim, yeah. this is about all of us, you know, all all of us survivors supporting each other, giving each other the 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 strength and the tools and i i mean i think one thing that comes to my mind as i heard you tell your story because i didn't know it um with your stepdad i would be curious to know what what happened to him what led him to do that you know it's and i do though i know some i do know yeah, this is why this work that we're doing is so important because we need to make sure that we break the silence because the silence, obviously, as we know, feeds the pandemic, feeds the silent pandemic of sexual abuse. The abuser continues to abuse many children in the family, and then you are creating more abusers, right? Because the tendency of an abused person 
is that they could also become abusers themselves. So this is so important. And, you know, I, I did a post in LinkedIn, and uh, somebody wrote, uh, and I, it was me um, with a video because I was very sad about Dalai Lama when I saw that video. And mm-hmm. The person wrote, um, you, he said, you cannot stop this. Stop it. No one can stop it. And I said to him, God, I feel that you feel hopeless. I know that I will try until the day I die. I will try until the day I die. Because I know that I have the power able to, to help other people to be an accelerator for other people to start breaking their silence. And as the more people that break their silence, then we are taking away the power. Also, right now I'm working on a curriculum for the school district in Yonkers, New York, and we're going to be piloting this, this, uh, this, school, this, this uh, curriculum where we're teaching children what is sexual abuse. What are the different types of sexual abuse? What, uh, where to go? Who to talk to? What happens if you're not listening? You know, if somebody doesn't listen to you, what are the symptoms? Education is prevention, and we also need to be able to change social norms. The norms like what I saw in the video of, uh, I don't know if you saw the video of uh, Dalai uh, Lama, where he's kissing this boy. And I, I believe that social norms need to be spoken about and we need to start changing them. Like, in, I know in my culture, I talk about the fact that we force our children to kiss adults just because they're adults. Mm-hmm. You have, out of respect, you have to kiss them, hug them. You allow them to sit on the lap. You know, there is, there is so many, uh, the secrecy, you know, everything, you don't listen to the children because the children... Uh, don't have a voice. In my culture, you know, it's shut up. My mom would say, you know, you don't have a voice. And if you want to say something, and especially about somebody in your family is sexually abusing you, most of the time you're not even, they don't believe you. Or they don't want to believe you. So there's a lot of work to be done. But we are, like, even, you know, doing this show. This is a way that you start making a difference. We just have to unite together. It's a lot of work, but hard work worth doing. Yeah. And I would love to um, talk to you more about your curriculum at some point, too. I know we probably don't have enough time in the 45 minutes that we have left, but, um, or 42 yeah. minutes. But um, so, I would love to hear more about it because that's kind of what I do as well as I go out and I teach. Uh, but I teach adults how to yeah, recognize no, we're, we're children. Really. Yeah, which is important. I mean, I think that definitely that is a part of what we teach. But we've also believed that it is the adult responsibility and that we have kind of put that off on the children for a long time when a lot of times Children don't know what happened. I mean, so, for instance, my my dad, when I was 12 years old, it was another kid when I was five years old who was three years older than me. 
and mm. and he obviously had been being abused, and the way that right. he was trying to attack me, you know, it it didn't feel right, and I knew I didn't want to be in that space at that time, and so I ran away. But then I also thought in my mind, I must just not be mature enough to be doing this, you know. And but my friend mm. is because I saw my friend being abused at the same time, and so. That's that's why I think it's so important that we get this out there to the parents as well is because, you know, if you're yeah. not able to talk to your child, like you were t- saying about body safety and all of the the things that we need to talk to them about, you know, we can't talk to our kids about that if we don't know about it. And Absolutely. like you said, just breaking that silence is huge. That's huge in, in getting the kids the help that they need. So, yeah, I I love it that we are, you know, that you're creating that for the kids because that it definitely is important too. I was just telling you a little bit about what my side of it is, and um, yeah, there also had you heard about uh, um, Aaron's Law? Have you ever heard about that? No. Tell well, me. And, and there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversies around it just because. There's nothing that's attached to it that you have to do to it. So Erin Marin, she was um, abused by a, a neighborhood, a friend's uncle in the neighbor in the neighborhood that she went and visited, and um, and she didn't tell anybody for a long time either because she didn't realize that that was something that she needed to tell. I mean, she had she talks about how all of the you know schools were teaching her stranger danger that nobody was teaching her about. You know, this could be somebody that you know and trust and um, within your right. friendship. And so she's gone around and she's passed legislature and I, probably 36, 38 states, something like that, I don't know, um, that says that school districts are supposed to be providing this information. They're supposed to have some kind of education for the children and for the adults in the community. And so they put it in school districts. Now, what I'm finding, it was passed in Colorado. That's where I'm from. Where I'm at now is in Colorado. Mm. And um, Mm. it was passed in 2015. And what I find when I go out and try and talk to the schools and and things like that is they're like, oh, we have something in, you know, in place for the kids. And it's, you know, usually um, something like a, puppet show. I think that's what's pretty common in Colorado. They have this puppet show that's about a half an hour long and it talks about body safety. Um, However, they're still cutting out, I think, the important part in that is to educate the adults as well in the community. Yeah. So the the curriculum that we're working on is eight modules and it involves a workbook for the teachers, the children, and the parents. So there is education, and our goal is to really, uh, this curriculum should be in every school. And we're starting with eighth grader. Um, We also have a book, and when I say we, I mean I have a movement, and my movement uh, was actually born out of my book because when I I decided to, to write my story because my son Jeffrey, my middle child, I was skiing with him in Colorado and waiting for my other son to come. And we were, you know, just talking. And he said to me, Mom, you really should write a book. 
because your story, you know, where I come from to where I am today, I mean, you would never imagine that that would be me. And I decided to write the book, and then in 2020, during the pandemic, um, the book came out. I was actually supposed to be um, doing my book launch at the end of February, and as you know, that's when the pandemic, you know, started to get serious, so I canceled my, my book launch. And I ended up working on the movement because I started doing a lot of public speaking engagements um, virtually. And I started getting all these people calling me. I was abused. I was abused. And I ended up, um, I, I got to create a movement. And I've had, the movement is about two and a half years old. Uh, I have, I can tell you, for me, there's so much urgency, and I, I've invested a million dollars of my money in this movement. And when I say that, it's because I want people to see how serious I take this. I know that I am going to make sure before I die that I will make a huge dent on the silent pandemic of sexual abuse. So I have a talk show. Yo Digo No Mas on YouTube, where this is part of the Break the Silence campaign. And we have 30 interviews that I've done myself. I have a full-blown studio that I decided to, to put together, and I have a production team. And we have over 300,000 views in these shows in YouTube. And what we find is that people are watching the entire episodes that are 30 minutes long. And you can see the need for this work. People, most of the people that I've interviewed, and by the way, 30% of the, the interview are men that have come and shared their story for the first time. So when I decided to do this movement, I, I started with a Break the Silence campaign. And then the next mission, the part of the mission is education. So my niece happens to be a doctor that specializes in trauma of children and adolescents. And we created, uh, we already have a book that we finished that is for children that are 10 to 14, where we are teaching them about sexual abuse in a very unique way. They are uh, like QR codes where the kids can go and my niece does these um, uh, grounding exercises it's an amazing book that is coming out. We actually, we, we were in conversations with HarperCollins, and our goal is to get to Penguins, uh, to Penguin and decide if we're going to self-publish or not. But we are in the process of writing. Uh, we have seven books that we want to write, sexual abuse from the beginning of life until the person is 18 years old. So I have taken... All of this experience, and this is one of the messages that I want to, you know, give people that are listening. Look, you have a choice. You have a choice of staying in your victim mode. When you stay in victim mode, your heart is closed, and you don't see light, and you're not able to create. And life is hard and you don't see a way out. But when you decide that you are not going to be a victim anymore, 
And you can decide that tonight. I can tell you that I know that it's hard, but you can decide that as you wake up every day, you are going to become a creator in your life, that tremendous force of energy that is holding you back, that is your negative energy. You can switch it. You can flip it into creation and be able to make a difference in your life, your family's life, and the rest of the world. And little by little, you open your heart and you start loving yourself. One thing I know, and Kim, and and I'm blocking the doctor's name that is with you, Kim. What's her name? Nancy. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. As you know, when you you get stuck in, then life. People, I say the sad thing is that so many people actually leave this world and they have been stuck in victim mode for their entire life. And that's what I want. I want to be an inspiration to people. Look, you heard my story. You want to know more about how much damage this, this, this did to me? But I decided at some point that I was going to start healing immediately. I'm still healing. I'm still looking at ways that, you know, my past is it's affecting my future, my present. And this is something that, you know, like I, I still go to therapy. I actually decided to go to therapy when I started my movement because I'm like hearing all these stories and I'm feeling it in my body and my soul. And I decided I need to protect my soul. If I'm going to do something as big as what I'm planning to do, I need to protect my soul. So I decided to go back to therapy. And I'm learning still at the age of 58, I'm still learning how my past is still affecting my present. But I do it now in a curious way. Curiosity takes away judgment. Because we judge ourselves so poorly. We are our biggest enemy when we come from a trauma because you learn at a very young age that you are worthless and you're, you know, you're abandoned and you're abused by the people that are supposed to protect you. So to be able to change that and start loving yourself is a process, but it's a process that is worth deciding that you're going to start. And when you start, you just have to keep in mind that right in front of you is healing. And that as you heal, your energy, because we, I, I say to myself, look, I've gone through so much in my life that I have become someone that doesn't fear much. Because to me, I could never be as poor as I was. Let's go back. I was really poor. And I, to me, the abuse that I experienced, I have in, in the years of my life after that, I have not experienced anything as detrimental as that was for me. So I build a strength from it. It's 
a strength that you sort of, if you empower it, it can lead you to create an amazing life. But it's a strength that if you're not careful of it, it could continue to hurt you. I know that, you know, the abuse that I received from my ex-husband, two of them, I know that I was so strong that I could take it. I, I would be beat up and I would get up. I beat up and get up because I became immune to pain. But as I began to understand myself, I actually, I, I, I use, I, I have, I say I bring Jackie, my little girl in the Dominican Republic, they call me Jackie. I bring Jackie when I need Jackie. Situations where I need to be strong and I need to not feel much, and I would say, Okay, Jackie is with me right now. And I become someone that doesn't feel a lot, but I am aware of it. I bring Jackie when I need her, and then I bring Maria back when I want Maria back. You can learn to, to really empower yourself with your two with your little girl, your adult being. Again, uh, Kim, I said a lot, so I don't know if you have any yeah. questions. <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, such good words, though, Maria. Thank you. Um, so I guess I was kind of curious, what did you do before you started doing this work? Because you said that it wasn't until you were well, it took 47 years to break your silence. So well, uh, were, were you always kind of in this field? Or is no, it just so I wanted to be a doctor. This is something that in my family, I have many doctors and, and nurses. And I got married at the age of 17 to an abusive man uh, who really would not allow me to continue to, you know, grow. Um, I ended up becoming a medical assistant, and I ended up uh, creating a, a career. I, I, after I got divorced, I went back to school, and I was going to be a teacher um, to teach in high school. I was going to teach math, and I ended up um, at Scarsdale Medical Group, where I lasted 26 years of my life, and I went from a medical assistant to a manager and then I was an executive director for 26 years, and I decided um, there I grew. I mean, I, I joke around that I got my master's and doctor degree at Scarsdale Medical Group. I took five doctors to, from seven doctors to 50 doctors, from 10,000 square feet of medical space to 80,000 medical 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 uh, square feet of uh, square feet of medical space in three sites and you know I took the practice from a few million to many millions and I ended up having an amazing career there and at the age of 50 I had a life altering experience I almost died I um I had breast implants and one of them burst and I I started a journey of I had to have five surgeries uh, I developed an infection in my in my chest that uh, took five surgeries every week um, to be able to get rid of it. I I spent 18 days in the hospital. I became very weak, 
And I was a strong woman that, you know, it, it sort of, this forced me to stop and reflect. And I said to myself, like, what, if I would have been gone, like, what was the impact that I would have done? I know I created a good, you know, financial freedom, you know, for my children and I had a great career, but how much did I help? And I ended up leaving my job. Everybody thought I was crazy. And I said, I am going to build a medical practice for the underserved community with a strong focus on the Latino immigrant community. And in eight years ago, and I gave myself three months. I'm not kidding you. I gave myself three months. And in three months, I had a medical practice. Uh, my business partner, Gina Capelli, and I got together and we started this journey. I have a beautiful medical center uh, with internal medicine, cardiology, um, uh, gynecology, ne- neurology, podiatry, uh, urgent care. And I started taking care of, you know, I said, I'm going to build this center. I know how to do it. So we now have over 30,000 patients, and we serve a lot of the uninsured community. We take care of them. We guide them. We are here for them. And the movement and actually came to me after. It was my second purpose, which I didn't think, honestly, to me. My goal in life was going to be create medical centers in different cities where the underserved community needed it, and I was going to provide dignified care to the underserved community. And I ended up writing this book, and then the movement grew, and it's become a huge part of my life. I've been blessed enough to be able to create financial freedom to the point that I mentioned to you, I was able to invest in this movement that I have, you know, uh, we've done already a lot. We have, by the way, I'm inviting anyone that is listening and is near Yonkers, New York, to come and walk with us on April 29th. This will be our second march in Yonkers, New York. And last year when we did it with the mayor of Yonkers and the school district as well, uh, the mayor of Yonkers actually uh, gave a speech, and he said, I was sexually abused at the age of 12. And this man took on uh, to unite with, with me, and he actually gave me his story. I interviewed him. He was on season four, which came out. Um, uh, we just ended it actually last week, uh, season four, and he decided that he was going to every year, he was going to support this walk. We had close to a thousand people that showed up last year. This year, we are expecting over three thousand people. We are getting ready uh-huh. for it. yeah, amazing work. Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So can you Thank tell you. us a little bit more about the movement? So yes. Yo digo no más, um, as I said before, you know, we are, our main focus is to bring the awareness. Our goal is to be a global movement. And with the, with the uh, uh, talk show, we 
are doing that because when we look at the data of, you know, there's people from all over the world actually listening to the talk shows and everything I do, I do in, you know, in Spanish and English. Um, with, we are, like I said, we have, uh, we're bringing in um, education through in our website, but in addition to that, we are working on uh, books for children from, right now we're working on a book that is designed for kids when they're born for the parents to start reading to their children. And we have seven, depending on the age and their age appropriate, focus on empowering the children about their bodies, to learn about their bodies, to also own their body, understand that they're, you know, they're the king and the queen kings of their bodies. And from there on, the goal is to bring this curriculum to all the school in, in the United States and eventually bring it worldwide. I have that, you know, God has opened the doors for me in so many ways, and I have a lot of people that are uniting me on this mission, including uh, a superintendent uh, of the Yonkers Public School District, which, by the way, it is the fourth largest school district in New York, and they had 26,000 students. So, um, we, yeah, so we are working with him, with his team, my niece, who's the doctor that specializes in trauma of children and adolescents. Uh, uh, for example, for the walk, we do workshops, and I would love to invite you guys if I don't know, you know, exactly if you have anyone in the area but for you guys to come and have a table and have information, uh, we have some celebrities that are walking with, uh, with me right by my side. We have coverage, um, you know, new, news coverage. We're supposed to have Univision. Univision has done a story, has become sort of um, a spokesperson for Univision. They, they asked me even uh, today I was on Univision and CNN and, you know, in our Latino culture especially, there's not many people that are willing to tell their story. And I've gotten to the point where I love me. I have fallen in love with who I am as a human being. Not it. And I, you know, I said this at one of the interviews in Univision, and the journalist said to me, well, that doesn't sound, that sounds a little conceited. And I said, well, that's a social norm that was created for us, that we should not be uh, loving ourselves. We should not be talking that about the things that we do well. And it is a social norm that needs to change because the first person that you should learn to love is you. If you love you, no matter how hard that is, once you learn to love yourself, it is easy to love everybody else. I've learned that I come first, and my family knows it. You know, I, I did an Ironman, because one of the things that I've also learned, as I was saying, you can transform this ability to tolerate pain into crushing limits. So I've become a limit crusher, and I explore limits in my body that I you know, I never imagined like that I would run the New York City Marathon. 
but I took it on, and now I'm a marathon runner. And then, you know, and I'm 58 years old, and last year I decided I was going to do an Ironman. I did a relay Ironman on 2021 with my boys because I wanted to learn how to cycle. So I took on cycling. Was it easy? No. Did I fall? Did I, was I bruised up? Was it one of the hardest things that I've done? Yeah. But you know what that did to me? When I finished that Ironman with my children as a relay Ironman, I said to them, I'm going to do an Ironman by myself. Kids said, of course you will. Because they realized that, number one, I take care of me. Number, number two, I will do anything that I'm afraid of. Because what limits us is that fear. But once you start little by little crushing the, the fear, I mean, the energy you get is endless. So I decided last year, I've never swum ever. I'm not a swimmer. I know people say, but you're Dominican. And I said, but you know what? I was too poor to go to the beach. I didn't live near a beach. <laughs> so I never experienced, you know, swimming. I, I, I never swam before until last year. Last year, I started swimming, learning to swim in March. I ended up doing an Ironman, and I swam 50 minutes at the Havana River in Augusta, Georgia. And I finished the Ironman in seven and a half hours. I swam in a river. And if I tell you that as of today, the hardest thing that I've done that I, I actually ended up mastering is swimming. It was scary as you, for me, the most scary thing I ever imagined in my life. But I crushed that. I finished that Ironman. And you know what I feel? Limitless. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I told you I could talk forever, so... <laughs> no, I mean, I I can't even believe that we're we only have 14 minutes left. You have um, been wonderful. No, we it's your show, so we we love to hear you. Thank talk. you. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I know that Nancy said to me, you know, and I think you can you want to hear tools. I'm going to give you different tools because I I feel you know that people. Utilize. I've learned many tools, and some of the tools, they stay with me for a long time, and sometimes I change them. But the idea is that you want to be able to create a toolbox that is going to serve you, that is going to empower you. And I'll give you an example, many examples. Some of them you might think is silly, but you know what? If it empowers you, I don't care how silly it is, do it. Um, I write in my mirror, in my bathroom, um, an affirmation every Monday because on Tuesday, I, every Tuesday because my cleaning lady comes on Tuesday and she cleans it and then I start a new one. 
and I write an affirmation that it depends on what I feel like it's not working for me, and then I actually uh, say, for example, I'll give you an example. I have a money affirmation that whenever I feel that I am uh, going to my old programming, I bring it out. I have been spending a lot of money on the walk. You know, the, the march, I am fronting pretty much all the money for that. I am getting sponsors in. The sponsorships are coming. But I'm taking a risk, right, because I'm putting the money to buy all the printing, uh, buy all the 3,000 T-shirts, all of that. So I've been feeling a little bit like that my old programming was coming back. So I have an affirmation, and I'll repeat it, you know, for you. It is, I am so happy and grateful that money comes to me in increasing quantity throughout multiple sources on a continuous basis. And I repeat that over and over again throughout the day. And that empowers you. You are feeding, and and when I say it, and this is the important thing about affirmations, is that feel it. When you're saying it, connect the feeling that you would have when you get all this money. Like for me, I'm connecting it to the feeling of getting all the sponsorship money that's coming. So that's one. I also do affirmation for my daughter. So to me, I am empowering my children with affirmation. So uh, my child likes to be called NT, and I say NT is happy, NT is at peace, NT is focused. And I write whatever it is that I'm feeling that is not working, and I do the opposite. I buy myself flowers every every week. I make sure that I am surrounded by beauty and nature. I also have a a, uh, a diary that I that I keep. It's called my it's today's magic. Today's magic. I write every day before I go to sleep. What was the magic of today? Every day, magic. The problem is that if you don't stop to reflect and feel the magic, then you go to sleep just concentrating on what did not work and forget the magic. And part of the magic is attached to, I write, I have about 10 things that are big that I want for myself in the next three years. And I have... I have it in my today's magic. So before I go to sleep, I go in and I'll give you some of um, some of the you know the magic that I am looking for in the next three years. I want to be an international speaker in speaking in front of thousands of people. That is one of the what is on my list of what I want to do. I want to focus a lot on becoming a motivational speaker, knowing that I can impact the world. I want to fall in love with my soulmate. I don't have a soulmate. I mean, right now I'm dating someone, but I am in the search for that soulmate. And I am going to have my own TV show. This is part of my, you know, the plan that I have. And I can keep going. I'm going to do a full Ironman at the age of 60, which is next year. 
I'm already planning. Joligo Nomad Movement has become a worldwide movement. I am build, building, we are building healing centers throughout uh, nation, nationally and internationally. So that's, you create a list, and then you read that list every single night before you go to sleep. And then make sure that, that today's, magic, um, today's magic diary is with you. That's another tool, meditation. Meditation is key. It's, I know that it's hard, and I, you can go in YouTube and find free meditation tools. The other thing I do is I take a cold two-minute shower every day. Two-minute shower, cold, as cold as it gets. The endorphins that you release, the epinephrine, and you can look this up. You can look this up online, the power of taking cold showers. You also, I educate myself every day, 15 minutes. You need to make sure that you have every day 15 minutes to educate yourself. Learn something new. I also do a podcast that I share with everybody. I reflect. One of my toolbox is that I need to reflect. I need to take five minutes to reflect on what what worked, what didn't work, and what do I want? I ask myself those questions, and I could, I could keep going with tools that I've utilized, and I've provided exercise. Please don't underestimate the power of exercise. You can look me up, look at Maria Trusa, and you will see me working out every single day. I have to sweat every single day. So listening to a book, I listen to audible books. I listen to a book a week. I want to educate myself on ways that I could improve myself, my mind, that I could understand my mind. I have so many books. If you go to my page, Maria mariatrusat.org, you will be able to see all the books that I, I, I listen to. I'm obsessed with reading. And you think of the daily deposits that you want to add to your life. Whatever makes you feel good, it will be a deposit. Please be careful of sedating. When you are sedating with alcohol, drugs, working out, to you know, anything in an obsessive way, you sedate, but you sedate the joy. That's one of the messages that I want to make sure because so many people sedate the pain because you cannot bear the pain. Face it. Utilize the tools. There are so many ways. And, again, go into my website. You can look at I share tools. I share my podcast. I give you so much information. Uh, look, buy the book, Yo Digo No Mas, I Say No More. And you will find many of the tools that I utilize to get to this beautiful life where I feel at peace with my soul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful words of wisdom. <laughs> um, Thank you. Nice. So I, I just want to kind of throw this out there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, okay, go ahead. So if somebody hears you or sees you speak or something, um, 
and they say, wow, I really love what this Lady Maria is saying, but I'm not Latino. Does that matter? Are you? No, or... it doesn't matter. Okay. So, okay. So what I want, and you can see it in everything I do. So like my podcast that I share in the like five minutes, I just, I'm sharing with you what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, because my book goes up to age 55, and the uh, the rest of the years, I'm sort of, I've been sharing it in these reflections that I do, and everything I do, I do bilingual. I have, my website is in English, my my podcasts are in English. I mean, believe it or not, I had to, I, I educated myself in, in the Spanish language because I was I worked with the Jewish community for 26 years, so my Spanish suffered, and I hired a speech coach for two years to you know to be able to speak Spanish in a in a professional fluent way, and um, so what I'm saying is I I'm actually I had to learn to be more culturally sensitive myself. So everything I do is bilingual. Good. Well, and we do need so much more of that. We really need that. I know that yes. in the work that I do, the curriculum that I teach, we're always looking for bilingual people because it's a need. Like you said, it's, it's need. You know, that's why I'm I'm concentrating so much with the Latino community as well. Like right now I'm working on a workshop uh, that is called uh, Your Personality Creates Your Reality how do we change our personality to the, to create a new reality? And I was, at the beginning, I was studying it in English, and then I said, you know what, no, I'm, I'm going to do this in Spanish because th- this is so needed in the, you know, the, the resources are not out there as much for the Latino community. And I know just from some of the work that I've done, I, I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I know um, that I've heard that a lot of Latino and um, Hispanic families will live in clusters. You know, a lot of them live together, generations yeah. will live together. Is that is that kind of what you find too, even today? Uh, what was the beginning of the question? Um, I just say a lot of it. it from what I've seen and heard, a lot of Latinos and Hispanic families will live in, together in a cluster. So different generations are all living yes. together. Is that still, you think, pretty common today? It's pretty common. More so still. than, yeah. yeah, more so than us white people. <laughs> we want to get rid of our, our ancestors. But. <laughs> yeah, no, we are, I can tell you I took care of my mom you know, for, I mean, my mom was my, my queen and uh, my mom, I would have never, like, we don't put people in a nursing home. You know, this is like, I took care of my mom. She was bedridden for two years in the Dominican Republic. And I traveled there once a month to make sure that she was, and I would stay and had 24 hour care. And we, my brothers and I took turns. I have four brothers, so we took turns every weekend going to visit her. Um, because we value our, our elderly to a very high level. It's something well, that I love we, about our we culture. Should. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we should. 
So do you, have you ever talked with your siblings at all? Do you know that for a fact they had never been traumatized in that way? You know, um, talking, I mean, my brothers support me uh, in this and they walk with me. They are everywhere. But I was actually saying, you know what? I've never asked. Never asked them. Is that is something that, and and also I actually we need to have the conversation because as I started talking about you know my past that was really locked in our family you know this was a secret like nobody really knew what happened to me like there because we came to the United States and then it was not something we talked about but even my brothers to this day you know I still don't know exactly what they have what they felt. I know my older brother, uh, I mean, my brother Billy, that was uh, two years older than me, but I don't know. Um, so that's a conversation that we still need to have. Yeah. And it could be yeah. a really hard one. It could be really hard. Yep. Well, thank you again so much. I'm sorry we didn't get back over to the panel, um, but we are out of time. Maria, you have been just a fabulous gracious host and we appreciate you being on and telling your story and um thank you so much you're you're definitely a part of the family so anytime you want to come around we would love to have you oh i love it and i sent you a facebook (laughs) i i followed you on facebook so (laughs) also so is there follow oh by by the way one thing i'm going to say um i was taken down by facebook instagram and whatsapp or the messages that I put about against sexual abuse. So sure. when you follow me, I, I, they, but I, I'm, I'm back in, you know, uh, trying to rebuild myself. But this is how serious this is. Even the higher powers don't want us to speak. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that amazing? How you see those those things happening. Yeah. But I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to be able to make a difference in someone's life. And thank you for the work that you do. I I feel honored to be here with you ladies. Well, it was our honor for sure. Thank you, Maria. Have a wonderful evening. Have a good night. Yeah. and, And everybody remember that if you see something, please say something. There's enough of us in this world to take care of all of the children. Have a great evening, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Another tomorrow. Cause that's gone.